All right. So uh, today's uh, sermon is on this idea of Ichabod, uh, and it is called Ichabod, a departing revival. And uh, what happens here, we'll get into it, but there's a, a, a boy that is named Ichabod, uh, and that in Hebrew means the glory of the Lord has left. Okay? Uh, not the, uh, the greatest of things. And so, uh, really, this is a story, right, uh, and a, a teaching on uh, revival. And uh, some of us are new to the faith, some of us are new to this kind of uh, charismatic kind of uh, idea, but we have to ask a question, like, what is this thing called revival? Uh, a revival in the church, when we, when we talk about it, is a reawakening of the saints. Um, it is a, a call to holiness. A new call to relationship with the, with the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. All three. Because you need Holy Ghost to revive you. Okay? And to revive a church and to revive a people. When we talk revival, uh, we're talking about a great and mighty move of the Holy Spirit. And uh, what's going to happen here is um, it, it happens really to the church. So people talk about revival and then they, they, they see it happening in the country, meaning a lot of people coming to know the Lord, um, people turn from their sins and call upon the name of Jesus. These are all things that happen as a byproduct of revival, but revival is actually designed for the church, for the bride, because to be revived means you had to have once been alive and then you've been made dead and you come alive again. If you've never called on the name of Jesus in a spiritual sense, you've never really been alive. So revival is for the church. And when we get revived and we get filled with the Holy Ghost and we get a reawakening in our spirit, we're motivated to draw deeper into the things of the Lord. And we're motivated to now carry out the power of the gospel to the lost. And then you'll see a great and mighty harvest on planet Earth. That's what we're talking about, okay? For those of you who are like, what is this thing called revive? Think about like reviving someone from death. Giving a new understanding and commitment and relationship to the Lord. Um, and so, you know, this, this kind of recipe, I've, I've always called it this. Uh, it's kind of my pet name for it. And that's uh, Psalm 51. So when we open up to Psalm 51, it's a great passage. And um, you probably have heard of this before, or have read this before. And uh, Psalm 51, uh, verse 7, we're going to begin. Um, essentially, what we have here is, um, this is what I call the recipe for revival. I think if we prayed Psalm 51, that, that's, how you, that, that, that's the, the blueprint for revival in your soul. And so, you know, this is David speaking after uh, Nathan the prophet comes to him and says, David, you have sinned. Like, egregiously. What are you going to do about it now? Uh, and he decides that he is going to go to the Lord and have his heart cleansed. Verse 7, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. And so what we have here is this. King David is, is busted for sin. And he says, God, clean me with hyssop. This is a very powerful Old Testament understanding. Uh, hyssop is the, is the herb that was used to dip the blood of the lamb that put it on the post, limp, post and lintel of the doorframe for Passover. That was the element. Hyssop is also the herb in one of the Gospels uh, where they, they dip a sponge or in one of the Gospels, hyssop in vinegar or gall and give it to the Lord. And so there's this paradigm, hyssop as being this cleansing agent. Cleanse me, create me a clean heart, restore unto me the joy of my salvation, and then... Then what? A lot of people forget this part. And then, you're revived? For what purpose? Then I will teach transgressors your ways. And 
The sinners will be converted or will return to you. It's like, it's not like you're just teaching them. They're like, whatever. No, when you're revived, when you teach it to them, they respond because they see the Spirit of God in you. And so this is really the recipe of Psalms 51. Now we're good. Do you have the clicker or no? Tell you, if you just put it right on the stool, I'll hit it. I think that'll actually be smoother if you're okay with that. All right. So what we have to do here is uh, taking a look at all this is uh, actually taking a look at a uh, revival of the past. Okay? So I want to like talk about, like I said, it's a pastoring kind of message. Praise the Lord. We figured out we have a game plan now. Everyone can breathe. All right. Uh, in modern day revivals, I mean modern day, like last couple of years, uh, the, we call it the first great awakening, uh, the year 1730, 1760. There's a great move of God, particularly in England, Wales, a little bit in Ireland and in the United States. We're talking about a major, major move of God where hundreds of thousands of people come to know the Lord. Actually, in, in, in fact, uh, some of these revivals, uh, some of the revival outbreaks are actually happening right in Bristol. I forget, Jamie, you'll know. Whitfield, is he first or second? First. first? Yeah, so George Whitfield, powerful speaker, preacher from, um, from England, actually preached just a couple blocks from here, down on the, uh, the, down on the wharf. Okay? Um, so we're standing on ground where crowds of people were just receiving from the first great awakening. Okay? The, um, the, the next time period uh, is going to be the second great awakening. You see, they get pretty imaginative with these titles. Second Great Awakening, 1801-1820, likewise, a mighty move of God. I don't know how many, but lots and lots of people connecting to the Lord, recommitting to the Lord, and coming out of hell's fire. Uh, the third one is uh, called the Welsh Revival, coming out of actually Wales. Uh, that's going to take place 1904 uh, to 1905. Next up is going to be the Azusa Street Revival, which actually many of you guys are really the, the, the descendants of that that call. I mean, from Azusa Street essentially came Pentecostalism. Um, and so the Assemblies of God, for example, as a denomination, it was birthed out of that, right? Church of God as well, right? Um, so that has happened out in California at that time. Uh, and then we get to uh, a time period of like the Billy Graham time period. Now, I don't know if people classically call that as a revival. I'm calling it a revival. Uh, 1950s, Billy Graham uh, comes onto the scene. I mean, this guy, I mean, I looked at it once. I mean, how many souls came into the kingdom? How many people heard the gospel? I mean, a mighty move of God. I, I mean, many of you are baby boomers uh, or, or older. What's that? There you go. I saw him too. But many of you are baby boomers or a little older actually may have actually come into fellowship with the Lord through Billy Graham's ministry. Many people, right? Uh, the next up uh, is going to be uh, the Jesus movement of the 1970s, right? So that's where we get our definite classic uh, baby boomers are coming from. Um, there was a mighty move of God in the 1970s, actually made front uh, cover of Time magazine. I mean, when, when magazines are talking about it, did it begin in 68? Yeah. Um, when magazines are talking about it, like secular magazines, um, you know there's, like, there's something happening, right? All right, uh, and then what happens here is, you know, I don't know what to actually call these. Um, many people want to call it a revival. I, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm not like so strict. Um, but I'm just going to be real with you. For those of us who have benefited from the Toronto blessing and, and Morningstar and Brownsville, mighty move of God. And Lord, if you want to dump heaven on us like there, I'm in. But they were a little bit more regional, I think. I mean, they did spread. But like Ben Franklin has to hear George Whitfield speak. Ben Franklin's not a believer, but during the first great awakening, he's like, I need to hear this man speak. Now, to the best of my knowledge, I don't know if there were heads of state that were just like, I need to go to Brownsville, and I need to hear them speak. Now, I'm not putting them down. It's awesome, but it's not quite at the same level as the first and second great awakening. Uh, for example, the Welsh Revival documented five million people came to know the Lord. Five million. That's a lot of people. Okay? And so, yo, a great move of God, yeah, I would say a revival, but not as big as the others. Um, Redding, California in the 2000s, you know, Bethel and the miracles that happened there and the, and the revitalization. I mean, it's amazing stuff that's happening uh, that have impacted a lot of the church and some people outside of the church. But there are more modern day things that simply have not been at the same level and same height of what God has done in the past is what I'm trying to get at. Hence, they're in yellow. 
And so through researching this stuff, I found some very interesting things that were happening. Yeah, here comes the history teacher part. And it's, it's cool, but it's also, uh, I think, disturbing. Because this is what happens here. The first great awakening uh, in North America is going to come right at the time of the French-Indian War. There is a major war happening in your backyard. Men are going off to war. Men are dying. Things are rough. The, 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 there's the French fighting the British. The British are fighting the French, but the British would be classified as Americans at that time as well. And there is all war breaking out, especially up in the New York area. It's not a fun time to be alive. And so what I'm trying to get at here is that there seems to be actually a correlation between difficult, hard times and people crying out for revival. Which is very dangerous because the last time I checked, it is not difficult times in the U.S. of A. right now. Uh, Second Great Awakening, 1601-1820, is coming right after uh, the American Revolution. Uh, First Great Awakening, Second Great Awakening, a little bit more of the First Great Awakening. This is not preachers saying this. These are historians that are saying that the First Great Awakening laid the foundations for American Revolution. That's the level of revival that we're talking about, that people are getting so revived and they understand that they're made in God's image and in His likeness. And we are to love our brothers as ourselves, and then therefore we should be free. When you get a spiritual revival, a political revival comes. And so this isn't even preachers that are saying this. This isn't even Christianity Today that is saying this. But there are historians who are saying that type of spiritual awakening awoke something inside of the colonies that demanded their freedom. Okay? That's what we're talking about here, that kind of level, right? All right, so the, the Welsh Revival and the Azusa Street Revival um, is coming out of largely a weird time period which is called the Second Industrial Revolution. Meaning that America and really uh, Western Europe has become very mechanized. Factory work. There's a huge revolution in technology and industry. And if you read the newspapers at the time, if you read the people at the time, there's a general kind of like blah malaise about life. It's like I'm no longer working on my farm. I'm no longer building something with my hands. uh, Particularly in America, people are, for the first time in U.S. history, there are more people living in the city than out in the farms. This happens about 1905. You get all these people moving to the cities. They're doing city work. They're used to being out on their open spaces and farming, and now they're like the bean counter in the, in, in, in the, in the factory. And it does something to people's life. Say people get a little like melancholy, a little funky, like what's the purpose of life? What's the reason for living? I just show up, I wait for the bell to ring, and then I can eat lunch, and then go back and go back to my repetitive, my repetitive task. That does something to the soul of a man, especially when you used to be not working on the parts of things, but all, all things. And so there's a notion that like the soul was being crushed. And boom, a revival breaks out. Of course, Billy Graham, 1950s, World War II, the destruction, people asking like, what is the meaning of life? What is the meaning? Why, why did this all occur? There's such destruction. And like, look, Germany was an intellectual society with philosophers and a strong Christian tradition. Look what they did. Like, what's going on? What's the meaning of it all, right? Uh, and then, of course, 1970s, uh, the, I'm calling it the hippie movement, but it's more than just the hippie movement. It's the craziness of the 60s, right? The politics of the 60s, Dr. Martin Luther King, assassinations uh, uh, that are going on. There's, there's a counterculture movement that's saying we don't want to just buy things and be a part of commercialism. And there's a questioning of the main hubris of our culture at that time. And so young people who did not go you know, crazy with being a hippie had a spiritual response to it, becoming believers. And it was quite, quite a large thing, but it was in response to the hyper-consumerism. And so this, this brings seven and eight. Um, yeah, nothing. I mean, Persian Gulf War, I mean, that was like 43 days long or something like that. Uh, early 2000s, nothing really happens. We, we haven't had a real uh, growth pain. We haven't had a real, like, angst of, of things to really propel a movement like it's happened in the past. And so I just thought the Lord was just saying, like, it, it seems to me that there's a correlation between funky historical times and people now moving away from the ease of their life and saying, I want to draw to the Lord. And we don't quite have that. 
And so what I, uh, I'm believing here is, of course, this. Uh, I'm believing that Philadelphia and the suburbs will bring forth a harvest and bring forth a revival in the year 2020. Uh, I'm believing and praying that it's not going to be a small one, that it's going to be a big one. That it's going to be one that doesn't just shape Bristol and doesn't just shape Philadelphia, but shapes and shakes nations. Amen. Guys, this generation, my generation, has not seen a great move of the God. Amen. Now you're right, Toronto. Like, there's people here that are like adults that were not born yet during the Toronto or Brownsville revivals. Can you believe that? Yeah, they, that means just crazy. I mean, I was young. I was like a teenager at the time. But there are people here who were not born at that time. Right? But even those beautiful, awesome moves of the Lord, but we're not talking that they have shaped and completely changed destinies like the second and first great awakenings. I don't think. I mean, major, major things going on, but not to the same level. Just, we haven't seen a real big move of the Holy Ghost in a long time. And I'm believing that it's going to happen. And so, and it's going to happen from here. Now why? Uh, okay, you know, I can just say the Holy Spirit's just going to move, but I believe the history teacher in me, and even dare I say like some of the prophetic things that I sometimes walk in, is this. I believe that the, this generation is ready. It's ready. Why? There's a culture war going on, guys. There's a culture war going on like has never been gone on before. Everything in our society is being questioned that you would never think would be questioned before. Everything on how to raise a child, everything to it, who you are and what you are. I mean, we're talking about unbelievable war at a cultural level. That's going on. On top of that, uh, there has been a technological revolution. And I teach high school. I'm telling you that there is an angst a struggle of meaning for many people of this generation. The technology has changed so much that the sense of being and purpose has been questioned. And I'm telling you, when you talk to these people, when they come in contact with someone the same age or older that is real, that is a real person, that is not a virtual person, that's not living in a fakeness, they're drawn to it. And I just believe the time is ripe and it's been a long long time. The Father is waiting and the earth is waiting in this generation for the sons and daughters of God to be made manifest. And when in prayer and when I'm in the Spirit, I hear that waiting. Like I can, you know, if no one preaches the gospel, even the rocks will cry. Or I can almost hear the low frequency hum of creation just saying, come on, come on. Sons and daughters arise in this generation. It's got to be a great move of God again that even politicians and diplomats are going to want to hear you preach the gospel. That tens of thousands of people will show up in a small town. They can't, you can't even house them in the house. So you, you open up the windows, you knock out the windows so they can hear you. And they're just flooding the streets. That's what it was like in the first and second great awakening. There are people who would put down their plows and would walk 10, 15 miles because they heard a preacher was coming into town. I mean, we can't even get people to wake up and drive here. So, preparation. <clears throat> I, I want to prepare now for a great move of God. Amen? Uh, I believe God wants to use Bristol to be a part that helps bring in revival, but also uh, that we uh, would be a people that are able to steward revival, because revivals do not get stewarded well, and I think that's part of the reason why we haven't seen them more like a flash in a pan. They need to be stewarded, they need to be taken care of, they need to be pruned, they need to be watched, they need to be protected. Uh, and, and I believe uh, that this will be a place that doesn't just steward revival, that makes sure that the presence of the Almighty God does not leave, but that it remains. And so there are some questions to get us uh, kind of going into this and this. Are you with me? I mean, are you with what the Lord is doing in this generation that He's preparing the ground for revival? Come on, are you with us? Then get ready. And get your life revived.
You cannot be believing for revival in this generation. A great awakening of the Spirit of God if you don't get your life revived in the Holy Ghost. Won't happen. Now, that's some of the preparation, but there are conflicts in thinking in the theology. It's unbelievable how these people get a bunch of letters at the end of their name, and then they start to conflict on like some of the most ridiculous things that really should be kind of simple. And it's largely semantics. Well, you know, Dave, revivals are not meant to last. Revivals come and they go. Yeah. It's semantics. It's like, well, if I once was dead and now I've been revived, I'm alive. And then therefore, I don't have to be made alive again, right? So what happens here is what's supposed to happen is the church is supposed to get so revived and they never become dead again that they just stay revived. So it's like, all right, you want to play the semantic game? Fine, revivals come, go, blah, blah, blah. But come on. What I believe the Lord wants to do to usher in his kingdom is that the church, the bride of Christ, is so revived that they never become dead again. And they stay alive. And they stay fiery. And they show the world what it looks like to be revived. Well, well, come on. It's it's nameplay. Just want to call it what it is. Come on. Stay revived. There's no need for revival. You just stay there, man. And we're good. Oh, okay. Look, when we're revived, we can steward the present so revival can come to others. So revival happens at Bristol. We don't need another revival because we're already revived, but we steward the present so revival can come to other churches and to other places and shape the world and change destiny. Well, you see, Pastor Dave, I'm a theologian and um, you don't do it. God does it. I agree. Correct. The Holy Spirit does it. But the Holy Spirit partners with man. That's like the way it's been since like Genesis 2. I mean, he partners with us. We partner with him. And if he doesn't see a partner, why would the ghost lay on that person? It's like, I, I, you don't want to partner with you want to move to someone else? So I get it. Holy Spirit does it, but we can house it. See, I want to position myself. And I want to position this church to align with God. To house a great move of God in this generation. And that's what I want to do. And so that's a very pastoring kind of thing. So, great book. If you have not read this book, oh my goodness, go and read this book. Two of the most phenomenal books. You read it and you're like, am I safe? I love those type of books. And you have to be a healthy person. Guys, it's a little bit of crack in the whip. But if you're in a healthy person and you know your identity and you read this, you're not like, am I saved? You're just like, oh, I want to go after the enemy, you know? I want to stay up all night in prayer now. Why Revival Tarries by Leonard Ravenhill? Holy cow. Fire. Anyone read it? Don't worry, I'm not like taking names. But... Oh, yeah, come on, church. It's two of us have read it. We want Revival. We all have to read it. I'm serious, man. This is such a powerful book. Why Revival Tarries? Leonard Ravenhill passed away in 1994-ish, 96. And he was a powerful preacher from England going around speaking why the church in the West, particularly the church in America, has not seen revival. And more or less, to summarize his book, although you should definitely should read the book, he says it's because we don't have people that pray anymore. We have a people that don't want to seek out holiness anymore. He says prayer and holiness are linked. He says, if you give me 12 men or women that prayed like the apostles prayed, you see revival next week. So this is not me. This is Leonard Ravenhill. So don't be mad at me. You can be mad at him. He likes to crack the whip. A sinning man stops praying, but a praying man stops sinning. What's your prayer life like? What's your prayer life like? Thank you, Lord, for this food. Amen. Bless you to our bodies and make it nourishment unto us, right? It's like what every dad prays. What's your prayer life like? Are you struggling with sin? If you're struggling with sin, what's your prayer life like? 
man that prays and communes with God, there's no room for sinning anymore. Prayer and holiness are linked. I love this one. If Jesus had preached the same message that ministers preach today, he would never have been crucified. Do you think any preacher today would be crucified? No. Maybe some. <laughs> yeah, true. But here's the thing, man. He says we need teachers and preachers, fathers and mothers who are preaching repentance. He's saying, like, in the West, like, we've gotten too comfortable with sin. We've gotten too comfortable with what makes me feel good and how do I get rich quick. What can the Lord do for me? It's like, no, 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 no. Jesus didn't preach that way. Repentance. Turn away from sin. Pick up the cross daily. Why did, why, why did Jesus get crucified? Because the kingdom of man resides inside every man. He says, I'm coming to restore a relationship, but I'm also coming to tear down spiritual systems. I mean, it's, it's, it's like I, I'm turning the way that the world operates completely upside down. The, the greatest among you shall be the least among you. And in the church today, we still view the greatest to be the person with all the giftings. But Jesus would be like, no. The fact that we have to pay someone to clean this church who does not go to this church is what he's getting at. We want to steward revival? We can't even steward the building. You want to steward a great move of God? Who's going to get on their hands and knees and scrub the toilet? The fact, guys, listen, is the fact that we at Bristol Hope, I love Steve, he does so much, the fact that we have to pay him to clean the building is the concept. He, in some kind of spiritual paradigm, now I know we're paying him and stuff, but in a paradigm, he's the lowest among, among us. He's, he's, he's cleaning, he's, he's, he's doing that kind of stuff. Like, I mean, in the kingdom, it's like you're the greatest because you're willing to do that. We don't pay him that much. You can make more money doing other things, but he's willing to lay down his life that way, and we have to pay him for it. That's crazy. Like I said, it's Leonard Ravenhill, not me. A message of repentance. If we want revival, and if you want revival to last, it needs to be adopting the concept of arete. Yeah, six, eight months ago, we did a sermon series on arete, the Greek word uh, meaning virtue. It actually means like wellness and greatness in all things. And Paul is taking this from actually Greek philosophy that preached the idea of arete, that you're to pursue excellence in all things. Uh, and I, I do believe this, and please, I mean, I don't know, please, I mean, I'm in like the spirit of Leonard Ravenhill right now, so I don't really, I'm not going to say please. Look, if we want revival of the Holy Ghost, we need to pursue virtue and wellness and excellence in all things, people. And I don't mean like getting all neurotic, but it's got to be a heart intent. Um, look, and what is arete in the Greek mind, what Paul is referencing? He's talking about an excellence of body, mind, and spirit. We have people that can talk, we have people that can pray, we have people that can do worship, we can pe have people that can be loud and dance and have all these outward signs of frills, but what kind of excellence do you have in that dark, secret place? What kind of emotional baggage are you still holding on to? Why is it that I, even I, hear gossip? Why is it that one person is a little upset at the other person because, you know, someone moved something in the church or something like that? You're not getting revival! You will not have revival. And I have prayed too long. I've given up too many hours for my kids and my family to let revival just go from this place. You need to get your mind, your spirit, and this is the one that no one likes, your body. Your temple. Excellent. That's how you keep revival. You say no to the substance. You say no to the sugar. You say no to the thing. My body is a temple. Look, man, I'm, I'm just being real with you. And, and if you don't like, if you don't like what I'm saying, oh, oh, oh it's okay. I'm a, I'm a high school teacher. 
You have to have thick skin, but a soft heart. You know how hard that is? But 14 years of teaching kids allowed me to be a pastor with thick skin and a soft heart. Look, I, 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 I work out. I don't work out because I care about how I look. I work out so that I can be 80 years old preaching with fire. Not be dead from a heart attack. That's why I work out. Because I'm like, I'm going the distance, man. Like, I'm going to 90. I'm going to 100. And I'm going to be 70. I'm going to be 80 up here preaching with fire. You can't do that if your cholesterol is way up. You can't do that if you're eating sugar. It's a marathon, not a sprint. You will be dead by 65. By 70. I plan on going the distance. Teaching those young bucks what it means to have the fire of God inside your bones. Amen. We need people like that, but we won't if we don't get ourselves arete, healthy and well and good in body, mind, and spirit. Yeah, come on. There are people that are, that are just still in their elderly years, and they are, man, they are fire. So they still have the energy, right? They still have it because they've taken care of themselves. All right, another one by Revenue. Uh, the church began with men in the upper room agonizing in prayer, right, Acts. Uh, and today, the church is ending with men in the supper room organizing. How, how funny this is. You, you think Peter, Paul, and James, like, I guess Paul isn't around yet, but in the upper room in Acts, you think they're like, hey, uh, what kind of advertisement should we be doing for the church here? Um, how, do we, uh, how do we do our alpha course to, to kind of reach the community and uh, bring more people in? Now, I have nothing against Alpha Course. I think it's a great thing, right? It's a great idea. And you should reach out to people. What were they doing? They're on their knees praying for the Lord, praying, Holy Ghost, come. Holy Ghost, come. And poof! A bare fisherman, uneducated, speaks, and thousands come to know the Lord. You know, we, we put this business concept on things, man. I'm not against the advertising. Yet, yet there's some things that are logical. But when it comes down to it, you need to spend time in prayer and crying out to the Lord. Come, Lord Jesus, come with revival fire. And so, right, this, this is what's going on here. And so, you know, it, it's when human methods become greater and more important than Holy Spirit methods. And I'm telling you from a leadership perspective, we get tempted with that all of the time. All of the time. Well, if we just do this, if we just do that, if we just do this. Do you know how many times I've been tempted to just be like, all right, forget the prayer meeting. Like five people show up. Five people show up to our prayer meeting. And it's been that way for eight years. No, we just won't have the prayer meeting anymore. And what we're going to do here is we'll just like, you know, do some kind of like fun family night. All right, I'll just stay home with my kids. It's me, man. It's the Holy Ghost. It's all right. Just put it off the side so people don't uh, see. Like, we've been tempted. I want to stay home. People don't come out. Why do it? Because we need the Holy Ghost fire that comes when people are on their knees praying and interceding for it. And if there's only five out of 80, there's five out of 80. And the Lord will still respect that. So, next quote, which we don't have. It's okay. To stand before man on behalf of God is one thing. To stand before God on behalf of man is entirely different. What is this saying here? To stand before man on behalf of God is one thing. This is like you sharing the gospel. You're standing before man on behalf of God. You're doing what God has you to do. But the second part of this quote is to stand before God. Now you're before God, not before man. On behalf of man is entirely different. This is, people, this is Abraham going to the Father or, or praying and saying, don't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Don't destroy the land. Don't do this. How many people could be faithful? Can you find 20? Can you find, you know, the story, right? He's interceding to the Father on behalf of a people. Moses does the same thing on the mountain. He goes before God and God is so upset with Israel. He wants to just get rid of them and start all over again. Moses intercedes for Israel. Do 
Don't do it, Lord. Remember the faithfulness of Abraham. Remember the faithfulness of Isaac. Remember the faithfulness of Jacob. And God is moved. And God's plan changes because of the prayer of one man. And now the question is you. Do you intercede for your generation? Not like, Lord, I'm going through a hard time. Please heal me. Although that's a good prayer to pray. And you need to pray that prayer. Not like, I need to get my bills paid. Yes, it's a good prayer to pray. I'm talking, have you sat down on your knees in the quiet in the morning hours saying, Lord, I'm a person and I'm a people that intercedes for this generation and I intercede for this nation. That's when revival comes. Oh, we're back? All right, I love this one. I love this one. How can you pull down strongholds of Satan if you don't even have the strength to turn off your TV? You want to usher in revival? You want to change your town? You want to change your family? You want to do all this stuff, but you can't even shut off the TV? Like, there's a certain self-discipline. I shut off the TV, and I want to pray. You want, to, you want your climate, you want your atmosphere to change, and you can't even just... I want to pray right now. Come on. You've been faithful in little, he'll give you much more. You haven't been faithful to shut the TV off in prayer and worship. He's going to give you a town to steward? Heck no. Uh, it's the notion of distractions and entertainment. It keeps us away from the things of the Lord. Uh, last quote by Ravenhill. The only reason we don't have revival is because we are willing to live without it. I'm good. I'm saved. My life is pretty good. It's comfy. Don't worry about really much of anything. Good. Why the heck do I need revival? Whew. I get to a place that I can't live without it. Really. I see the lost. I see the sex trafficking. I see the drugs. I see the bitterness. I, I see the emotional unhealthiness of the church. I can't take it anymore, Lord. I, I, I have pain in my spirit to pray and to intercede in the morning hours and late at night and to fast. I have my spirit groan for intercession of my family, the intercession of my community, the intercession of my church. You got to want it. And so some more questions. How bad? You, you, you just you, give it to yourself for a second. You know, we ask these questions in a while. Or maybe ever. First question is, how bad do you want revival? How bad do you want it? Two, how are you positioning yourself to house that revival? Right? And so, you know, just being real, Michelle and I, we've had some very real conversations about debt. She and I both have student loan debt. We're going to college. And we're like, uh, how am I going to go into full-time ministry one day when we have that kind of... Uh, Albatross around our neck, right? That gonna be a lot harder. So we gotta like, we gotta like tighten up the belt. We gotta suck it up. We gotta find ways to just plow, right? I mean, keep things in balance. But like, you know, all right, maybe this summer we're not going on vacation. We're just gonna boom, you know, pay off the debts. I'm talking about physical things. The Lord calls you to be in the full time ministry. The Lord calls you to go on a missions trip somewhere and, and do something. Are you gonna have the means to do that physically? You gotta position yourself. Like you gotta do things, right? Like I said, I'm, I, I want to I be healthy. I want to eat right. I want to do things right. So I'm here for the long haul. You got to position ourselves. And so here at Bristol Hope Assembly, right? We've got the past. We've got the present. Uh, guys, uh, for eight years, I and Bill, particularly, and, and more recently, some of the new people that have come up with it, Bill and I, man, we're going back eight years. Praying every Wednesday night, almost every Wednesday night, to be fair. Praying every Wednesday night for eight stinking years. Lord, revive the church. Lord, revive us. Lord, we cry out to you. Lord, bring the people. Lord, bring the finances. Lord, do it. Lord, sometimes it's just he and I. And we're just like looking at each other. Two different generations like, Lord, you're going to do it. I know there's only two of us. But Lord, we intercede for this church. For eight years. And so I take this seriously. Because many of you are the fruit of that prayer. Lord, we need people. Bring them. 
Bring them, dear Jesus. Bring them, dear Jesus. They brought them. It took eight years of prayer. That's a long time of prayer, man, on a Wednesday night when it's cold in here because we only have enough money to turn the heat on. Like when the, when the heat literally has to be at 45 because we don't have the money to turn the heat on. And we're sitting there just rocking, cold, praying, interceding. Lord Jesus, make it happen. And the sanctuary definitely did not look like this. And so here we go, man. Uh, we're in the beginning stages of, of, of revival here. I really do believe that. Beginning stages of revival. Uh, there is a newness that is here. Uh, you see the newness in the newness of the building, construction. Uh, there's life here. It's a sign of life. Uh, we have seen salvations recently, baptisms, healings, all sign of revival. We see new people come here. And I think one of, the, one of the greatest signs of revival is seeing the amount of children that are here, right? I really do think that that is a sign of a healthy church. And you see all those kids that were here worshiping? I mean, most churches, it's like, hey, go downstairs. We don't want to see you. It's like, come on, man. Like, the children are here. There's life that is here. There's uh, new ministries that are here. You know? Um, Heart of David is housing itself here. Philadelphia Tabernacle of David partnering and us partnering with you the best we can. You know, all of that. It's all happening. Clayton coming, the healing ministry. And most importantly, come on. Were you in worship today? The presence of the Holy Ghost is here. And so this all raises some questions yet again. How does one steward revival? How do we ensure it lasts and that a great move of God doesn't leave? And so let's open up to 1 Samuel. First Samuel chapter four. First Samuel chapter four, verse nineteen. Now his daughter-in-law Phineas's wife was with child, due to be delivered. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured, and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and gave birth, for her labor pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the woman who stood by her, said to her, Do not fear, for you have borne a son. But she did not answer, nor did she regret it. Then she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel, because the ark of God had been captured, and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. Uh, this story is taking place in the town of Shiloh, it's where the ark of the covenant of God was. And the characters in there is Eli the priest, his son Phineas, and other sons. Phineas, his wife, and the child that is born. And what has happened here is Eli and his sons have all died. And the Ark of the Covenant of God has been brought to the enemy's camp. She has a child, and she names him Ichabod, meaning the glory of the Lord has parted from Israel. Uh, and so, the, you know, what was the reason why all the priests died? What is the reason why the, the presence of God left Shiloh? Uh, there's a lot of different takes, but essentially it's this. Uh, the priests become corrupt. They, they seek money. They abuse their power. There actually is immense sexual immorality that was taking place in the story. And then probably the worst part is Eli, uh, uh, the priest, and his, uh, or Eli, who is a priest and is the father of the other priests, uh, does not discipline uh, his sons. He just allows them to just go amok. I mean, that's pretty tough, man, disciplining someone in ministry. Yeah, there's this one. Uh, another reason is the ark and the present becomes a common thing. Can you have the worship team come on down, please? The ark and the presence just simply becomes a common thing. The ark was, uh, was only really uh, used at this point uh, for going to war. Meaning they're like, all right, let's take the ark out and have the ark go forth so we can go to battle and so that we can win. Uh, essentially, uh, what's happening here is this. Um, the beauty and the glory of God was not uplifted and, and, and encouraged. The beauty of the Lord was not looked to. He was just used as a commodity. Like we're going to use the ark to bring apart our objective. We're not going to just sit at the base of the ark and worship and be in the presence of God. I know this might be getting a little long, but guys, I'm telling you, like, and there's a lot of distraction between the technology and all the stuff, but that's because this, the Lord is on this. So let's, let's just try to 
focus. The Lord is in on this. The presence of God just became a way to get things done and not to be cherished. Uh, in the Older Testament, there's a series of revivals. There's ups and downs. There's always a remnant. In Genesis 4.20, after the sins of Adam and Eve and Cain, uh, it says that in Genesis 4.20 that the men began to call upon the name of the Lord. So through the sin, men started to call upon the name of the Lord again. Uh, out of Egypt, with Mount Sinai, uh, you're going to have uh, the golden calf. So Moses is up there communing with the Lord, and then at the base of the mountain, they're worshiping other idols. One man is, is fiery on the mountain of God, and the others are just casting the presence of God away. But in this whole experience, right, at the base of the mountain, there was a Joshua who remained faithful. So there's always a remnant. There's always someone or some group of people that are cherishing the Lord. And for the sake of time, I guess I won't read the, the verses, but uh, in the book of Judges, the Lord appointed judges because people were going astray and searching out foreign gods. And so what the Lord does is he brings forth a revival amongst a remnant. And he calls forth judges to be brought forth to govern Israel. People like Othniel and Ehud, Deborah, uh, Yael, Samson. But they come and then they go. And the presence of God comes and the presence of God leaves. And it doesn't stay. It doesn't stick. It doesn't remain. Mario, when you get a chance, can you come down? No, I can't. Can't? Okay. Gotcha. So uh, when we get... Zeke on the piano, please. It's all right. It's all right. I'm not going to allow circumstances to interfere with what's going on. This is too important of a message, guys. The time of judges, there's ups, there's downs, there's ups, there's downs. And so what's going to happen here... going to happen we have our kings right Saul has gone amok and David a little sherpa boy says let us bring the ark of God back to us we have not inquired at it since the days of Saul a sherpa boy says let's bring the presence back let's steward the revival and there's only two kings that govern all of Israel, David and Solomon. The rest of the 20 kings, only five are righteous and 15 are unrighteous. And the kingdom is split because unity brings revival and revival brings unity. David and Solomon had a revived heart and there was unity it was there. But their descendants was riddled with pride and arrogance. And turn their eyes astray and just use God as a commodity to give us what we want. 400 years of silence and then Jesus shows up to bring an ultimate revival to mankind. And through his death, right, the curtain is torn. And the Holy Spirit is here to sustain a revival. And so in the Old Testament, there are a couple things that we see as, as characteristics of the revival. It usually begins in the heart of a consecrated servant. There is a passion for the word of God and worship. There's a calling out of sin which leads to repentance. And the idols in the land and in the heart are destroyed. How bad do we want revival? If it's not for our sake, maybe it could be for another's sake. Maybe it could be for God's sake. It just raises a question, why, why does revival leave movements? Why does revival leave ministries? Essentially, if, I, if we take a look at it, there's just three stages of revival, beginning, middle, and end. In the beginning, there's a desire and a hunger for the Holy Ghost to come. 
And then what happens here is that there's a, a, an element of repentance by the people saying, Lord Jesus, come. There's a birth of holiness amongst the people. Holy Spirit comes. People start to come. They get excited and they, they see healings and they see deliverance and they see all this happening. And a great move of God is about to come but comes the dangerous position. Now there's more responsibility for people and things start to break down. There's fatigue. There's routine. There's pride. There's conflict. And eventually a breakdown of relationship and the Holy Ghost just leaves. How do we keep revival here? We need to keep 6 through 11 from happening. We need to keep our pride in check and make sure that it's not getting puffed up. And so in the next couple weeks, I think three weeks from now, I'm going to call forth all those people that are vested here in ministry to have a meeting. It's going to be me, it's going to be Josh, it's going to be Mario, it's going to be Bill, it's going to be Jamie Fit, it's going to be Jose, it's going to be Jonathan. We're going to get together and say, man, revival is about to break out here. And Clayton as well. How do we keep our hearts pure and make sure that we do not go the way that all these other ministries have gone? Let's get real with one another. Let's serve one another. Let's not step on each other's toes. Let's res respect the anointing that's in one of us and in each of us. I'm not trying to make Jose me and not trying to make me Jose. I'm not trying to make Josh Jonathan and make Jonathan Josh. Come on, Jonathan came up today and gave a word. You don't want to crush revival today? If in my heart and Josh's heart, if we went, how come he did it and not me? You know how quick the Spirit of God would just leave? Well, he's not, a, he's, not, he's not ordained here. He's not on the official ministry team. He's not blah, 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 blah. Dude, I'm telling you, revival is going to go if we do not protect our hearts. And this could be Sharon coming to me like, Sharon, you know what? You're not doing the lyrics today. But I've done it for 10 years. You're not doing it today, okay? Bill, this week you're not going to be an usher. <gasps> Don't squash revival. We're giving someone else the opportunity. Mario, you're not leading worship next week. We're giving someone else the opportunity. It's not about you and it's not about me. It's about the Lord. And so I feel like this went a little longer than I thought. I planned in a funky way. So we're just going to cut out a little bit. Ball on to keep that. What if? Like, what if we can get into this stage where we, we don't make the mistakes? We don't allow pride to come in, right? We don't allow the arrogance to come in. We keep our hearts pure. What if we can do something that, to the best of my knowledge, no other ministry has been able to sustain? That's we're not going to allow man to get puffed up. We're not going to just be a hot thing for six months or eight months or even a couple years. We're going to be revived and sent forth revival to others. And we're going to keep it going until Jesus comes. It's possible. Why is it possible? Because that is the heart of the Lord. It's the heart of the Holy Spirit. He desires that. All right, why don't we stand? Sorry if I went a little longer than usual, which is like my usual is longer than most people. It's just, it's just, I need to cut a little bit out, but it's just, this is in my heart, man. We have this very spooky scripture verse, uh, Jeremiah chapter 7. I'm just going to close with this. Verse 12. This is Jeremiah speaking after the sins of Israel have just gotten so disgusting and so horrible. Jeremiah gives a, a message of repentance. And he says, but go now to my place, which was in Shiloh. This is like hundreds of years after. Where I set my name at the first and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. The prophet Jeremiah hears from the Lord and speaks from the Lord that to, to, to revive Israel, you need to go back to Shiloh. You need to go back to the place where the presence of God was first housed and do not make the mistakes of Eli and his priests. Do not allow pride and corruption and money to be built up. We need to have these pure hearts. Father, I just, I just come before you, Lord, and I just, I just say, Lord, we want to be a place that houses your presence. Lord, it is so important because your presence brings life and your presence brings repentance and your presence brings souls into the kingdom.
can't be done by man, Lord. It has to be done by you, but we want to position ourselves and make ourselves ready to receive of you, Lord. Lord, we don't want to be like other ministries that have come and gone and have lost the way and lost the goal. We want to keep our eyes on the prize. We want to keep our eyes on you. We want this to be a holy habitation of you, Lord. Father, I just pray against the pride and the gossip and the junk and the silly murmuring and people thinking they're more important than they really are. You're really not that important. But you are also so important. Father, I pray that I, I just keep us, keep and, and, and steward a presence that says that this ministry is not about me. It's about your Holy Ghost. It's about your presence. Father, people that are involved in ministry and leadership here, Lord, that they would not allow their minds and spirits to get arrogant, but they would submit themselves and they would clean the toilets. We would get down and we'd just be committed to one another in prayer and in worship. So we're going to close out now. So feel free, please, feel free to, to go, do your thing. But I, I, I just, there needs to be a time for those people who are just like, I need a revival. I need a revival for myself and I need a revival for my nation and my generation. I just want to invite you. If you believe in what the Lord is doing in Bristol and Philadelphia, and you're like, I want to be a, a stakeholder. I want to be a stakeholder in revival. Then we're going to have an extended service for those people. There's no guilt here. But revival is an offense because it shakes everything up. So have a wonderful week. Like I said, you don't have a time. People coming to the Lord, to the altar and saying, Lord, I want revival in my heart. What does this mean? This means arete. This means excellence in all things. This means you after service not going to the donut. This means after service, you're, 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 just, you're laying down all the gossip. This means you're not trying to prove to others how important you are. You're like so done with that. This is you no longer trying to prove that your way is right and another person's way is wrong. This is you saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay down the, the remote control a little bit. I'm going to pick up my Bible a little bit more and sit at your throne and pray and intercede. We need a people like that again. And if this Wednesday, Bill, it's just two of us again, that's all right. If there's five of us, that's all right. And if you can't make it, but you're praying at home, that's awesome. But we need a people that are praying for the fire of God. Jesus. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. God, this is, this is, this is, for those that are remaining, this is, this is a holy moment right now. come before you, King of kings and Lord of lords. We say we want to house your presence. We just want to house your presence, Lord. We want this to be a place of healings and of deliverance and of relationship restoration. We cry out to you like Abraham did. We cry out to you like Moses did. We say, heal our land, O oh God. Revive us, O oh God. Bring life back into the souls of men, O oh God. Let our hearts be soft and tender-hearted to one another. As Ephesians says, grieving not the Holy Spirit. Put away all gossip, all bitterness, all coarse jesting, all things that are tearing down human personality. 
You speak against the gossip. Speak against the clicks. And we invite your presence. Have a wonderful week.